Hey there, welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we are just trying to make the world 10% nicer. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and this week's episode is a doozy, not a snoozy. Sorry. Uh, it's probably the wildest, wooliest episode that I've recorded to date. It's a bit longer than other episodes, but I promise you, it gets there. And by there, I mean it starts with our launching point, an episode focus, which is on the battle between homeless veterans and mega developers over the most valuable piece of property in the United States, which is really a proxy battle between human dignity and those who would trample it for financial gain. Not super nice, right? Totally not super nice. This particular fight is happening in Los Angeles, adjacent to the fanciest neighborhoods in the city. And it's just beyond ugly and sad. Whatever you think, whatever you think of the US military, I think, I think we all agree that a contract is a contract. And these men and women signed one, which promised that they'll, you know, at the very least, be treated with respect. Instead, we have individuals and business interests who are nakedly, shamelessly, truly without shame, spreading lies about their character, about their actions, all to benefit those who would ruin a community that these very same veterans built with their hands. Okay, maybe not the very same ones, but those of a few generations before. We'll get into that. That'll be explained with this week's guest, who I'm finally introducing here, activist Ryan Thompson. Ryan Thompson. So from here, Ryan will talk us through some truly nefarious shit that UCLA has been pulling over the decades on the same contested piece of property. Have you ever heard of Project MK Ultra, the US government studies on LSD for mind control purposes? Yeah, happened on this very same parcel of land. So did illegal lobotomies on veterans. So does, uh, you know, right now, as you hear this, a program UCLA runs that pays homeless vets and others to procure and use illegal meth. Then there's the whole illegal body part swapping scandal. I know this all sounds like crazy nonsense, but it isn't. Matter of fact, check the links in the show notes below that reference all of this. You're going to hear a lot of crazy stuff. And I had to do a lot of vetting. This is a different type of episode for the Nice Work Podcast. I had to do a lot of vetting to bring this to you. And I'm telling you, it all checks out. More than that, Ryan will back up everything he brings if you simply email him at rt at nhdvs.net. Don't worry about writing that down. It's in the show notes. It's also uh, repeated later on. So if you listen to this podcast and you find it compelling, if you find the fight worthy of attention and you want to help, please just spread the word. Share this episode with those you think can help because it really does make a difference. You know, a great way, a great way to make the world a nicer place is by shining light into the darkness and then refusing to allow those hiding in the depths to, 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 to plant new seeds, whether of, of doubt or destruction elsewhere. Lots and lots of not nice machinations are happening behind bright smiles and firm handshakes. It, the unsheltered, the unsheltered among us are just as valuable as anyone else. In fact, I'm, I'm going to say there's an argument that they have more value in that, in that they're clear mirrors that reflect who among us has compassion in our hearts. 
And, and naturally, I think there are some who would rather hide or, or break these mirrors for fear of having their true natures put on display. Anyhow, enough of that. Enough of that, that passionate and, and not super eloquent sermonizing. To learn more about the Super Nice Club, how to join us, check out our website, superniceclub.com. Learn more about the club there uh, or on Instagram, Facebook, at Super Nice Club. Or you can text uh, nice work. Yeah, we can text anything right now to 310-421-0393 to join our Super Nice Club Insider Community, where you'll get invited to events, lots and lots of giveaways, free swag, local gatherings, local ga- You know what? If you live in LA, we'll invite you to the next in-person gathering of the Brentwood Community Council, which is an amateur hour developer lobbyist organization who pose as, as, as a concerned community group, as a neighborhood group, but they're not. We'll talk about that in the, in the episode. Um, but you, we'll invite you to that so we can pack the house and do some super nice lobbying of our own. It'll be fun. Yeah, activism is super nice. Again, that number is 310-421-0393. And if you want, when you text, you can ask for a discount code. We'll get you one for our super nice merchandise, hats, stickers, things like that, that help spread the word in your community around this simple idea of making the world a nicer place. And if, you're, if your shirt, your hat, doesn't help start a nice conversation, send it back. We'll give you your money back. No problem. All right. Ready for episode number 44 of Nice Work? Hold on to your body parts, folks. This is really good stuff. So turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to Nice Work with Ryan Thompson. I don't know. It's a pretty good intro. I think. Yeah? Yeah. Ryan Thompson, you are here on Nice Work Podcast. I really appreciate you being here today, man. How are you? Good, good. Thanks a lot, Todd. You're here in LA, right? Uh, yeah, I'm over in the uh, the Brentwood neighborhood of Los Angeles here, uh, right next to the Soldier's Home. Okay, so let's just dive right in. Let's just cut to it here. Here where you and I are in West LA, we're about a mile from the Super Nice Club headquarters over on San Vicente Boulevard, we have what is called Veterans Row, which is this, uh, I'll try to describe it for you guys. It's this long line, it might even be 100 yards long, of matching, and I have to say super nice tents, and they're, they all have large American flags stitched to the outside. It's, it's very orderly, and it stretches down the road on a very heavily trafficked street here in LA. So, Ryan, what's the story there? Well, uh, Veterans Row is is a name for an encampment of disabled homeless veterans uh, who are trying to obtain their services and or shelter from the West Los Angeles VA Soldiers Home. They're up against the gate of it, right next to a street called Brigham Avenue, right at the west gate of the Soldiers Home there. And all of them are veterans, every single one of them. And many of them are combat veterans. Many of them are 100% disabled. And one way or another, they are unable to receive, you know, services such as post-traumatic stress disorder services or services for traumatic brain injuries, or it could be some of them have cancer, some of them have other serious uh, ailments, uh, and many of the, all of them are homeless. They, they do not have the income or the uh, employment or are, are the employability to survive. 
And so that's what they're trying to do out there. And uh, in the past year, and you know this because folks like yourself uh, in the community have taken notice of this and uh, have been uniting with advocates and disabled veterans to help keep them alive and and help keep them um, sustained until we can root out this corruption uh, that is pretty much dominating the land uh, that's over at the soldier's home. Yeah, and we'll get into that corruption. But first, I think the positive stuff I just want to mention. So when you go by this quote unquote veterans row, I went by and this is when I met Ryan. I've been by a couple of times uh, just to drop stuff off because there, there are needs there. Uh, this is a very orderly, clean setup. But you'll see a lot of people coming. A lot of Los Angeles folks are coming by. They're dropping by everything, food, garbage bags, which are always needed, are always in short supply to keep things clean. Uh, they, they come by to help people with their laundry, all this kind of stuff. But bigger than that, somebody donated all of these high quality tents with these nice flags stitched onto the side. What's who, who did that? When did those go up? Sure. Uh, originally the first, well, let's see there. I think there are approximately, uh, I'm going to say approximately here. I think there are approximately 30 tents there, 30, 10 man tents, uh, with American flags on them. The first five of them, uh, which have since been replaced because they get weathered pretty quick. The first five were donated by a group called Judicial Watch, which is a right-wing organization that's, if you think about the a- ACLU, which is kind mm-hmm. of like the uh, the political, the liberal side of a legal advocacy firm, the polar opposite of that uh, would be Judicial Watch. They're, they're a conservative, you know, conservative legal firm. There were some concerns about that. I mean, while the tents are appreciated, uh, you know, it's something that we don't want to politicize and we don't want to create any partisanship uh, because this issue is about veterans with disabilities, uh, not about politics. So since that point in time, every tent, uh, including those five that have been replaced, are coming from various members of the local community and uh, veterans advocates, disabled veterans advocates. So there are... I don't know, the tents so far may be coming from more than 20, you know, residents and advocates. And if you don't know Los Angeles, we're talking about Brentwood, California and Brentwood or Brentwood, the, the, the neighborhood in Los Angeles, not to be confused with Brentwood, California in, in the North Bay area. Brentwood is a very nice part of LA. Brentwood is multi, multi million dollar homes everywhere. It's very Tony, it's very fancy. And then now, recently, there is this group of unsheltered veterans. And it isn't, while there's a lot of people who are, are have big, huge hearts and are super nice and are helping with this, it isn't always going over well with everyone here in Brentwood who just aren't used to having the realities of life in some ways intrude upon their their finely manicured lawns, so to speak. So you and some others have been working together to sort of advocate for these veterans here in the face of a bit of hostility. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, that's an understatement. Your loose-knit organization is National Home for Disabled Volunteers Coalition. Did I get that right? Uh, Yeah, just about. It's a National Home for Disabled Volunteer Soldiers Coalition. Got it. Okay. And you've been working. Let's see. This is just, it's such a big story here. I'm trying to frame it correctly, but, and I just wish that this was 
that you guys could see this, that you had pictures of these tents, but it's right up against, right up against, a, a, I think it's a wrought iron fence right behind it. The VA property. This is a 400-acre parcel. Am I right that, that these tents are right up against? Yeah. So these are homeless veterans, and they are against the fence of 400 acres in the middle of heavily populated Los Angeles that is Veterans Administration property that was deeded to them. This is where this property is where they are supposed to be living. Can you give a little bit of a of an overview of the history of that property? Sure. I'll, I'll try to do that as quick as I can because we're going to cover about uh, 134 years of history here, but uh, I'll give it a shot. So, uh, in the at the turn of the 19th century, like 1887, 1888, uh, there are approximately five wealthy landowning families uh, that own the land that's all now uh, West Los Angeles, Brentwood, Pacific Palisades, uh, Santa Monica, Venice. Uh, these landowners, uh, many of them are veterans who had served in wars. Uh, one of them's a senator. Uh, they're very wealthy, but they have no economy on the land. So what they did was they each donated parts, uh, you know, a fraction of their land holdings where their borders jutted up against each other, uh, their their various holdings, and it created a conti- it was a donation of a contiguous parcel of approximately a thousand acres, and then uh, an annexed parcel over on the coast by the Santa Monica Bay um, uh, that was a smaller parcel. And they donated this to the federal government to be held in a public trust to, quote unquote, permanently maintain as a home for disabled volunteer soldiers or veterans. So the federal government, uh, in response by act of Congress as a public law, accepted that donation. And it wasn't just a donation of land. It was also a donation of uh, a significant amount of money. I think at the time it was about $100,000, as well as indefinite water rights. So all the water that's being pumped through to the, to that acreage right now is still provided by those deeds as of today. So what happened is now you can imagine this there's no um you know there's no there are no cars there's no internet there's no TV and, and there's no you know radio stations for, you know public radio stations. Even so this word traveled so fast because nothing like this existed. Uh, In the country, there had never been, as far as I know, uh, any sort of shelter and benefits, not just for veterans, but for any U.S. citizen uh, at the time. So there were uh, veterans uh, who were hearing about this across the country uh, showing up and waiting for this place to be built. And to give you an example, uh, there were approximately 500 um, disabled veterans in Yountville, which is over in Napa County, uh, California. They heard about this and many of them walked. Now, these guys had physical disabilities. They walked down to what is now uh, west, you know, near West Los Angeles and Brentwood. Mm-hmm. And along with 800 other disabled veterans, they pitched tents on the grounds uh, as soon as they broke ground waiting for this place to be built. And when it was constructed... Wow. Uh, yeah, and when it was constructed, uh, it, you know, it's been it was uh, somewhat of an architectural landmark. It was a beautiful Victorian uh, township that is just for disabled veterans. Um, as the first generations of these veterans began to heal and rehabilitate uh, the best that they could, given medical technology at the time, um, but also given their peer support uh, of being with other disabled veterans. 
they began to move out of the home. And this is just within a couple of years. They began to move out of the home and settle the land outside of the home. Uh, How did they do this? Well, the way that they did it is veterans had pensions. So if there's a mailbox, they could receive these checks anywhere in the country. Uh, so, So basically, as they did this, they started purchasing subdivided plots of land from the donating landholders. And thus started the economies of, uh, well, a city that they started outside of the home called Sotel, which has now been annexed by Los Angeles and is called West Los Angeles. And they also started a town called Westgate, which is now the town that I live in of Brentwood. Uh, so that was the idea. It, it came from charity, but also the donations um, were also a smart business move by the landowners who could not otherwise develop their land. So it was, it, it was a very symbiotic relationship. So am I hearing this right, that the Brentwood area was founded by these veterans? That is correct. Uh, Brentwood was co-founded and uh, mostly the economy of Brentwood was mostly kickstarted by disabled veterans. And West Los Angeles was entirely created by disabled veterans. Wow. And now here we are 150 years later, and there's a notable element within Brentwood that just wants nothing to do with them. Zero gratitude, zero, zero sense of history. Let's, let's move into that a little bit. Let's, who, let's set up the sides here. So on one side, we have all humans that are decent, and these are with the veterans. Talk about the other side. Sure. So, uh, and, and just to clarify too, what we're talking about here is is uh, a select few developers and business interests because mm-hmm. uh, there've been a lot of wonderful business interests that are supporting this. Um, but the few that we're talking about here on the other side uh, are represented by what we'll call their proxy, uh, which is something called the Brentwood Community Council. Uh, the Brentwood Community Council is a, a private special interest nonprofit corporation. However, it poses to the community and to the city of Los Angeles, other than its government, it, it poses as a neighborhood council, but it's not. It's not recognized as such at all. The council claims to represent uh, 35,000 residents of Brentwood, all of the businesses here in Brentwood, all of the homeowners organizations and, and other nonprofit organizations here in Brentwood. Uh, it, it doesn't represent any of them. I mean, to give you an idea, Todd, uh, I was at their last meeting you know, here on Zoom a couple of weeks ago. They had, I was one of 17 people at the meeting and almost everyone on the meeting was a board member of this council. So what this council actually does, and and it's been doing it for approximately 20 years or more, is it's representing these illegal land users uh, that are at the home and these developers trying to privatize the entire home and trying to turn it into what's effectively a downtown Brentwood. Now, this is the this is at least the third time they've tried to do this. The last time they failed at it was around 2006, 2008. They've gotten a little more sophisticated in this latest attempt, even though I think we are, they're nearing being foiled again. 
Uh, and so what they do is they unduly influence uh, local government officials. They do a ton of lobbying. They have uh, an octopus of other nonprofits posing as veterans charities that they have started up. They facilitate millions of dollars in lobbying to Congress, to the House Veterans Affairs Committees. They write legislation uh, that tries to criminalize the disabled homeless veterans that are outside uh, the gate trying to get in. Uh, they use their charities to control the application uh, and the volume and the quantity of services provided on the inside to effectively create a, a runoff, an exodus of these disabled homeless veterans uh, from the home. So a, as you mentioned, there's approximately 400 acres remaining of the home in West LaVA at the uh, approximately you know, four years ago, I think we had about a thousand to a twelve hundred disabled homeless veterans left uh, residing there. Uh, right now, I think we're looking at about a hundred or less. Uh, and then by 1970, you had uh, approximately five thousand uh, living there. And, and what's interesting to note is at that peak uh, in 1970, even in 1980, you had no homeless populations in Brentwood, West Los Angeles. Or Westwood, they just they just weren't there. Uh, you know, it was the veterans that were being evicted out of the home that began to create our local homeless populations here. Wow. So a minute ago, you said that you mentioned that this was an illegal occupation of the land. Was there a ruling or anything that, that to give us some history of how some of these business interests got their fingers and got a foothold? Uh, in the VA property. Because as you said earlier, this property was deeded to be used specifically for veterans assistance. So how, how did others get to be using it? Sure. And, and I'm glad you're asking that because this this is not a matter of uh, perception. It's not a matter of my perception that these are, you know, land grabbers or legal land grabbers. Mm -hmm. They, they actually are. Uh, I'll give you a couple of many examples. So uh, in 2011, when the public and the press and veterans started really realizing for the first time that uh, these, you know, certain business interests were trying to take over and move in and, and steal the land, uh, there was a lawsuit filed called Valentini v. Shinseki, and the ACLU actually represented uh, these veteran plaintiffs. There were also a couple of other firms that moved in, too, um, on the case. But on uh, in result, on August 29th, 2013, uh, the Ninth Circuit Federal Court uh, ruled, Judge Otero ruled, uh, that basically most of these businesses that were attempting to steal the land uh, have null and void leases and any amendments thereto. They were not compliant with the law. They're illegal land use. Um, so, you know, this is a court order saying that, uh, you know, they have no business there. They have to go. Uh, and then one of them called the Veterans Park Conservancy uh, did not heed that order at all. And just said, well, screw it. We're going to do whatever we want. And, and even amid that order, they started developing um, like an amphitheater, you know, to have concerts and stuff like that, uh, like a private amphitheater. Um, and the, the judge had to actually come back and issue a restraining order against them. I think that was about a year after that in 2014. Uh, now, let's fast forward to um, September 28th, 2018. So just, you know, two years ago, the office of the VA inspector general uh, did an audit and reaffirmed uh, all of this and more saying that most 
of the land use over the entire home is not compliant with the public law. It's illegal. You know, they were reaffirming it two years later again uh, and stating that, uh, you know, veterans, uh, you know, services aren't there. uh, The veterans aren't being represented, that they, you know, appear to be absent from any discussions of planning, uh, you know, which is legally mandated. Um, That is just a big mess. And then you have uh, much of the press, too. Uh, You know, you can look at it from the right or the left. It doesn't matter. The gamut of the press has started covering this, whether it be L.A. Times or Fox, uh, all stating that um, or recognizing that there's illegal land use there um, and that it's pushing out the veterans and their services. And and to give you a couple of examples, uh, you know, some of the largest illegal land users there. <clears throat> are uh, the Brentwood School, which is a, uh, a private K-12 through school. They have two locations. The location that they are illegally operating at the soldier's home uh, is for their middle school through high school. So I think it's about 7th grade through 12th grade. Uh, it's f- about $45,000 a year to go to the school. Uh, everything that they have developed at this school, uh, every p- every square inch of it, except for a swimming pool uh, that was donated to them, uh, is built by about $70 million of California taxpayer iBank bonds, uh, which I supposedly I thought were for needy schools, not not schools making approximately $55 million a year uh, in revenues. Wow. They have this is a private school, folks. <laughs> this yeah. is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing. I'm, I'm hearing. Uh, correct me that a private school was built with 77 million dollars of, of tax money. I don't. That's not a political issue. Conservative, uh, progressive, whatever you self-identify as. That just sounds kind of crazy. It, it's utterly crazy. And uh, then it was built on this land. So, so oh, I'm just. I'm just. This is interesting to me. So they had to get a permit. They had to get approval to build on veterans land who would have given that to them how did that happen well well, originally they actually didn't get any approval what they did is they lied um and i'm sure there are a lot of bribes involved but in 1972 they fabricated that they acquired um a certain you know a small piece let's i think maybe about two acres or something like that two to six acres of the soldiers' homeland, uh, they lied and said that it was private land and that they did a transaction with a company called Education Partners, that I think was around for uh, two years or something like that, that somehow owned this land and that they got it from them. And I pulled the, uh, the, the documents, uh, the titles um, of the transactions. And in looking at it, they do not present any deed whatsoever for the land. Uh, not just from when it went from this education partners to Brentwood School, but also from whoever owned it supposedly before to education partners. There are two transcriptions stating that they had to transcribe the deeds because they're in such bad shape that they can't photocopy them or or, or present them. Huh. And what's ironic, it, yeah, and, and what's funny too is if you look very closely at the two transcriptions, there's several differences in the transcriptions. So the transcriptions do not even jive with each other. So so that's how they got in, right? They, they must have paid somebody off who was, you it's know- It's so maybe, Chinatown, man. You're, <laughs> oh, it, it, well, you know, it's funny you say Chinatown, you know, one of the donors of the water rights is the Santa Monica Water and Land Company. So you do have a little bit- Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and it's- <laughs> Great. There's actually a scene in Chinatown where the, the Jack Nicholson character, that'll be you in this case, goes in and checks out the deed transactions and notices that they're that they're uh, phony and forged. 
Yeah, they are. They are I just saw it recently yes. again. It's such a great movie. If you haven't seen Chinatown, everybody, forget the sequel. The original Chinatown's incredible. Yeah, that, that was that was a cool movie. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's a great film. Okay, so uh, you have Brentwood School, you have Marriott Hotels, you have uh, bits and pieces of UCLA, 20th Century Fox. You have a number of folks. It's not just the Brentwood School. There's correct. a number of, of properties on there. So there was a ruling that, that they had to vacate. So... But they're not vacating, right. right? Are these like Treasury Secretary Steve Nuchin, for example, his kids, well, for now, Treasury Secretary, his kids are there. A lot of A-lister kids are there. Um, and there's nothing wrong with these people, these families for having their kids at the Brentwood School. They don't know anything about this. They're not, you know, but right. are they going to have to move? Yeah, they're going to have to be evicted uh, sooner wow. than later. Yeah. And, and by the way, just so you know, um, when the court order hit, on the 29th, um, it did say that, you know, that order was stayed for up to 180 days. So it's, you know, long since, um, pending on appeal. And, and actually there was an appeal, but, uh, in fact, the Brentwood school, UCLA, uh, and the VA all, uh, abandoned, uh, their appeals and attempted interventions. Uh, so, so that order, uh, many, of the illegal land users that the judge, you know, reaffirmed were illegal, uh, left. They did the right thing. So when you're talking about Marriott Sodexo running a, a massive uh, laundry plant there for all their hotel, local hotels laundry, uh, Fox, I think, was there at the time, uh, Fox, uh, you know, some Fox administrative building. There were a number of large illegal land users there. Uh, and, and I believe some of them may not have even known that it was illegal. They probably thought they entered into a, a legitimate lease. Uh, I'm they sure. left. Yeah, they they left. Sure. They didn't wait for they wouldn't wait for 180 days. They didn't wait to hear anything about appeal. They realized what was going on. They were, they acted responsibly and they up and left. Uh, Brentwood School and UCLA and a parking lot uh, company uh, that was doing a bunch of stuff. They pretended like they never even saw it. They instead what they did is they began to lobby millions of dollars to members of Congress particularly members who sat and still sit on the House and Senate Veterans Affairs subcommittees. Uh, they have no legal basis to remain at this land whatsoever, but somehow they're not going years later because they're spending millions of dollars lobbying. And and one thing I did do because they're nonprofits, right? So Brentwood School is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pulled their 990 tax returns. And can tell you that, in fact, not one single penny of these millions of dollars are reported on their 990 tax returns, which is a felony crime. Uh, So, you know, this has been notified to the IRS um, as to what's happening with it. I don't know. But that's what's so preposterous. I mean, what's the last time you took your kid to a $45,000 a year private school that's built with $70 million of taxpayer money that spends millions of dollars lobbying Congress? <laughs> you know, it's just very strange. Yeah, it's been a minute. Uh, it's, a, it's a great looking school. You know, if, if <laughs> would be difficult to move an entire school, I'm sure. So getting down to the and, and, and folks, remember, this is 400 acres of prime real estate. So if you're wondering why Brentwood Community Council, why these people would bother themselves with it, we're talking about billions with a B dollars of property value here. 
billions of dollars. Enough, so it's it's a, it's a big deal. It's big enough of a deal where the human lives, these these veterans that are right out in front of it, are just easy to disregard and they're easy to forget, right? Because we just call them quote unquote homeless. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit here with you is you've worked with, you've spent time with these veterans that are out there. You're out there all of the time. What are you seeing? You know, what are you seeing in terms of the type of people that are out there? Because if you if you look, <laughs> um, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I will a little bit. If you look at at uh, next door, everybody, you guys all know next door, right? It's this uh, online sort of local neighborhood version of Facebook where they just sell you different ads, mostly for real estate. There's a lot of vitriol on there. There's also a lot of love, but there's two. I think any vitriol, any anger, any hate uh, against any part of our citizenry is too much. Right. And so you see this on there and you see our our veterans that are homeless being lumped into uh, just really unsavory characters, a lot of drug abusers, a lot of uh, criminals, etc. Who are you seeing out there? Who are these actual humans that are out there in front of the VA property? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point to distinct. By the way, I just want to mention, you know, uh, what you're what you're mentioning here is is actually what got me involved because I'm not a veteran. I've never been involved uh, prior to this having anything to do with veterans. Um, I never thought in a million years I would be advocating for homeless people. Uh, I got into this because of this next door that you're talking about because the 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 biggest topic it seems on a recurring basis since I first started noticing this a little over two years ago are complaints about this one homeless encampment of homeless people right there at the soldier's home, right outside of it. And I began to notice this anomaly or or pattern, excuse me, where on every thread, suddenly somebody from the Brentwood Community Council used to jump in and say, I think it's wonderful. You know, many of you feel compassion for these people, but you know, you, you need to know that they're dangerous. Uh, they're all drug users. Um, you know, they're criminals. And the best thing you can do is let our task force handle it or call the police. And here's the police number you need to dial. And it was a strange pattern to notice. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, was kind of busy and jumping around in, in my life. Uh, but even so, uh, it did stick out to me and strike a chord. And I started looking into it and, and be, began to figure this stuff out. Um, so if you were to take their word for it, uh, they originally said that, you know, none of these uh, veterans are veterans, uh, that they are homeless by choice, that they are all, all drug users, uh, and that they, uh, many of them are criminals, and many of them are mentally uh, insane and, and totally unstable. Uh, just so you know, I, I have been out there many, many times. Uh, I have personally never once seen any drug use whatsoever. Uh, I would find it hard to believe that uh, that there's none out there. Uh, you know, considering how many of us with with homes do drugs, I would imagine some of them do drugs too. Uh, but um, I've never seen any of that use, so it's not predominant. Um, but who these people are is every single one of them, which there are 31 right now. Uh, the camp fluctuates, uh, and I'll explain that in a second, but there's 31 there right now as of today. Uh, every single one of them are veterans. Uh, actually, I think every single one of them are disabled veterans. They're obviously all homeless. Uh, many of them have families. Many of them have children. Uh, many of them have had careers. Uh, 
you know, a technical careers, uh, very respectable careers. Uh, many of them have paid a lot of taxes in their lives. Um, many of them have had skills, but are so physically disabled, they can't do them. You know, there, there are many who are, um, former blue collar laborers, like plumbers, electricians, stuff like that, that, you know, I mean, they can barely walk anymore. Uh, you know, some of these folks are in wheelchairs, as I mentioned before, some of them have, have, uh, you know, advanced stages of cancer, kidney disease, uh, most of them probably have PTSD. Uh, every single one of them is, uh, confirmed, uh, for example, um, uh, a disabled uh, veteran advocate that I work with named Robert Reynolds, who's really uh, takes the charge and is the hands-on uh, guy who is down there and really keeping that encampment together and helping to protect it uh, until folks get help. Uh, you know, the first thing that happens when a homeless person comes up and approaches the encampment is within 24 hours, it is confirmed, uh, in fact, whether or not they're a veteran. And if they're not a veteran, uh, they can't have them in the camp there because there is something that is very important among veterans to be within their peer group when they're trying to rehabilitate. Um, and so that's a, another reason, too, why it's, it's maintained as a veterans encampment only. Um, so what happened over time is the Brentwood Community Council, as, as the facts started rolling in, they have progressively revised their story without any remorse whatsoever. You know, first it was none of them are veterans to some of them are veterans to half of them are veterans, but many of the ones who are veterans were dishonorably discharged uh, to, okay, they're all veterans, but they're all drug addicts. Uh, you know, they, they had to keep conceding on their story and, and now they just have kind of given up. They're not even trying to argue that point anymore. But what I'm trying to explain here is they lie and lie and lie. And when they're caught, it's a very serious lie, right? If you're telling, if you're representing yourself as some sort of leader organization in the community and you tell the entire community that you know, and you go out there and you've been doing this quote unquote outreach and you have confirmed that these are all dangerous criminal drug addicts and none of them are veterans. And then suddenly you go like, oh, okay, well, half of them are veterans. Oh, okay, well, all of them are veterans. There's no sign of remorse at all. They can lie like this and just change the story and they could care less because they have an agenda. And, and it's an agenda they've been at for a long time. And, and when you want to get into why are they doing this, you cover a really great point here, which is if this land were real estate, it would be the most valuable piece of contiguous real estate in the United States. It's not only almost 400 acres of contiguous land, it also has air rights, it also has indefinite water supply, it also has its own utility systems. Uh, there's a lot about it, and then of course it's nestled between some of the most expensive property in the country, like the neighborhoods of Brentwood and Westwood, and the neighborhood of Bel Air. Um, and it's close to Mandeville Canyon, Pacific Palisades, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But the other aspect of this is uh, of why they want it so bad is because uh, they're using public funds. They're, they're stealing taxes. To give you some examples, uh, you know, the federal taxpayers have been paying for the soldier's home for over 133 years to operate as a home for disabled soldiers and to provide them services and rehabilitate them. That is almost non-existent at this point. And the annual budget of the Greater Los Angeles VA healthcare system is approximately $1.2 billion a year. And the West LA VA Soldiers Home is, is uh, you know, claiming 
most or the lion's share of that annual budget. In addition to that, there's, uh, you know, you have the involvement of the county and the state government. Because a lot of the, uh, you know, tens of millions, you know, I'd say about $100 million at this point of Proposition HHH Housing for the Homeless Development Bonds have also been issued uh, years ago uh, to uh, supposedly develop it develop housing for homeless veterans here um, and it's not being done either uh, and in fact on the documents in the city if you pull them it says actually that the housing is going to be for multifamily and individual residential renters renters of low to moderate income that doesn't sound like disabled homeless veterans to me um, so, so it's not just the land that they're trying to get here it's also 75 years of that land tax-free management rights to it uh, operating it as a downtown Brentwood on the dime of the federal and the local taxpayer. Wow. Wow. Hey, I want to just, just be really clear about one thing, folks. If you're in the Brentwood area, I am not at all um, disparaging Brentwood as not having a heart for these people. And matter of fact, it's what it's why it's why we're having this podcast today. It's why Ryan is here. I've seen so much outpouring of love and attention and respect for these veterans. It's just a small minority that I've seen. Like I said before, any minority is, is, is too much when it is truly hateful towards the people in our communities that are having the hardest time. And you've heard a lot of things. You've heard Ryan say a lot of things about organizations um, being dishonest, etc. And I'll vouch for all of it because I have experienced the same experience that Ryan has, right? I have in requesting information, in disseminating information, in learning about what's going on here with this VA property, I've been hounded, Right? I've been kicked off of next door several times for doing nothing other than sharing uh, news articles about what's going on with, the, uh, with this whole situation. So it's clearly a sensitive thing. It's clearly people have vested interest and they clearly don't love having people shine any light on it. You know, uh, to to get in there and show what's going on in the shadows. This isn't some sort of conspiracy podcast episode. All of a sudden, that the Super Nice Club has ventured into these weird territories. This is something that's happening, and I I like to think of this as Ryan is representative of somebody. Uh, and there are many of them that are doing super nice things in this community. All right, so I just want to be clear about that. Brentwood is definitely fighting for these homeless veterans. Uh, it's just there's a lot of information out there that isn't quite accurate, that is confusing a lot of folks. Because one thing that Ryan said is, and this is really confusing, is there's a lot of these sort of nonprofits that are being set up with words like veteran, disabled, homeless in the title of them. So you look like they look on paper, they look uh, on, the, on the web when you're looking at what they're doing, like they're trying to help. But in actuality, they're, they're part of the problem. And it, so it can be really confusing. I think everything I just said was really confusing, but if you're a longtime listener, you're used to that, so it's okay. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and uh, just just to embellish on that, um, it, it's it's critical uh, that what you are saying here uh, is understood, uh, because if it was not for uh, what appears to be a majority of uh, of residents and businesses uh, it, here in the Brentwood neighborhood of Los Angeles, um, making these donations, providing all these homeless veterans their food, uh, their tents, their sanitation services, just you know, residents of Brentwood and and also members of a, of a um, congressionally chartered veteran services organization are paying for four bathrooms, uh, a 40 foot dumpster and sanitary stations uh, for this encampment. So th- this, this encampment in a time of COVID-19 would have no sanitation services uh, if it were not for, uh, you know, veteran advocates and the residents and businesses of Brentwood. There have been uh, several fundraisers that uh, local businesses uh, here in Brentwood on San Vicente Boulevard have have done and put together. There have been restaurants and um, uh, restaurants and dance studios and, and a collection of businesses that came together and, and one said, here, I'll cook a dinner and, you know, we, then we can have it at my place and then I'll invite everybody. And, you know, they come together and put this together to try to, you know, literally save these people's lives long enough for them to get what our taxes are paying for them to receive that they need. You know, when when you go into the military, um, you know, I'm a progressive liberal. So, uh, you know, this again, I have no background in uh, being uh, in the service or, or, or being, you know, very heavily involved with military or veterans issues. But what I do know uh, is that military veterans are not members of the State Department. They don't they don't uh, plan foreign policy. Uh, and and every one of these folks that I speak to, uh, you know, they go into the service because uh, they feel uh, that it's what they think or know that they can do um, to to support their country and and to chip in. Uh, beyond that, they don't make any money doing it. The pay for risking your life in another country and going to war is is pretty crappy. Um, and a lot of times when they come back, they have very very significant disabilities. Uh, so, it, you know, again, it's a huge thank you to the businesses and residents of veterans in, mm-hmm. of uh, Brentwood. And it's very important to understand that. Um, going to the charities that you're talking about, I want to interject with one thing here. Yep. I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, there's a board member, or well, now she's a former board member of, of the Brentwood Community Council, although her son, I think, is still on the board and uh, created one of these tentacles, uh, nonprofits uh, of the Brentwood Community Council called the uh, Village for Vets. And Village for Vets says it's a veterans charity to feed veterans. Now, they're not feeding any of these veterans out of this encampment. And when they started out, the extent of their feeding veterans was like every Super Bowl Sunday, they would go and, and provide some pizzas in a room and, and do a photo op. That began to change because the real story is uh, this former BCC board member who owns this Village for Vets nonprofit. She's the owner of two commercial retail buildings across the street from this illegal parking lot operation. And her buildings have no parking. So that would be a violation of city code. And she's done renovations to these buildings in the past. They don't have one parking spot. So now think about this. If, if she was cited for these violations, for not developing any parking at her buildings, which is required by law under the municipal code, she would have to incur large expenses redeveloping and doing construction and building all this parking. And that would, of course, eat into her rentable footprint 
of uh, suites in these buildings. So how has she been getting by? Well, she's been getting by by relying on the illegal parking lot operation at the soldier's home directly across the street from her buildings. And the first operator of those parking lots is a guy named Richard Scott. And his company was called Westside Services. And Westside Services was one of the companies that was uh, ordered by the judge in 2013 to have a null and void lease and any amendments there too, but didn't leave. When looking at the minutes of some of these organizations, such as the Brentwood Village Business Improvement District, we start to notice that they're saying things like, you know, hey, what are we going to do? You know, they're worried about these parking lots uh, going away and not having access to them anymore. And so they said, well, maybe we can give some money. You know, why don't we just start making donations to Richard Scott and he can get them to the right people at the VA? So here's the question. Why does it make sense to make donations to a parking business to get that money to people at the VA. And where it starts making sense is in the fall of 2018, Richard Scott was arrested by the FBI, along with the former West LA VA contract officer that made a lot of these dirty deals. His name is Ralph Tillman, uh, because he had bribed him for approximately three to $400,000. Uh, they were both convicted. Richard Scott is sitting in prison because they were running an approximately $14 million land fraud at the soldier's home using that parking lot operation. That starts to make sense to me now as to what they meant by making donations to Richard Scott and he would get them to the right people at the VA. So so this is an example of of these charities that that they create that they pretend are veterans charities but the real objective is to control the land and make sure that veterans can't use it. Uh, and since that conviction what has happened is a new illegal lease has been made with a new parking lot operator and it's a village for vets created a public interest company. I forget what it's called. It's a special form of uh, company you can create in California that's not a nonprofit, uh, not, a, not exactly like a nonprofit, and uh, created this company with the new parking lot company so they could share a bank account. And she kept the company open for about eight months and then shut it down, right? So she, she starts up this company so she can have a bank account with this new parking lot operator. You know, she they share a bank account. She throws some money in there and then she shuts it down. Uh, you know, I think we need to look at that and see, is that the next round of bribes? Now, when you say a new illegal lease, has that been deemed illegal by anyone or is that just a, uh, you're surmising as much? That, that is, in fact, an, an illegal lease, and, and here's why. The, the public law states, um, currently, that one of those two laws would be the West Los Angeles Leasing Act of 2016, as amended by the 2018 Expiring Authorities Act uh, of the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, Section 303. So, when the Inspector General in September 28, 2018, found all of this illegal land use to be still at the West Los Angeles VA and this mismanagement. By law, when the inspector general does in fact find that, it immediately bars the VA from entering into any new land use agreements at the soldier's home. So every land use agreement that has been entered into since that date is also illegal. Uh, and the only way that that can be resolved is if the recommendations that the inspector general makes during the, that audit on September 28th, they all have to be satisfied. And there's a very specific requirements expressly stated or mandated in the law that they have to 
that they have to go through procedurally to satisfy those recommendations. None of those recommendations have been satisfied in the slightest. Uh, nothing at all. They basically just have ignored it and kept entering into all these illegal deals. Let me ask you this. You said earlier that being on Nextdoor and reading about this is what kind of got you into the fight. But to get into a fight like this, you have to be someone who will get into fights like this. What's your story? What's your background before you got into this? You know, what what has your passion been about? Sure. Well, from a from a career standpoint, uh, you know, I have a small production company that focuses on visual effects production for commercials and a little bit of films. So, from a business standpoint, I have no relevancy to this at all. But there have been experiences in my life that I would say, uh, in hindsight, must have some sort of contribution to this. Uh, you know, the earliest one is is I'm born and raised here, and I do remember, you know, when I was playing at at this park as a kid, I used to go there all the time, even. Th- you know, through my teenage years. But on one particular day, uh, when I was about uh, three or four years old, playing with my Tonka trucks in the sand, uh, this park called Westwood Park, uh, which I have since learned used to be part of the soldier's home that was turned into a public park. Um, There were all of these guys that started showing up with like green, you know, pants and uh, duffel bags, you know, slung around their arms and starting to, you know, just sit on a bench, uh, sit on some grass somewhere and just kind of setting up. And, and these were folks that just didn't look like uh, or seem like the rest of, you know, my neighbors. Uh, they were my neighbors, though, but um, and, and they ended up staying there. They ended up hmm. staying there as long as they could uh, for several years, some of them. And I remember asking my mom, you know, who, who are these people, mom? And she just looked at me and she said, they're veterans. I thought, what? You know, why, why, why are they, how are they veterans? Why, why are they have no home? Why are they, why are they living here? It's interesting because (laughs) I never really looked into that. It's a, it's a memory that I remember so clearly, but I never really looked into it. Uh, I guess it was maybe just something just in the subconscious there that now I look back and I think, God, you know, there must be some sort of, of root in that. But beyond that, I, I have been interested just in my personal life in social issues and uh, especially in foreign policy. And I've been an avid reader of, um, you know, various journals and, and uh, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I have advocacy in my heart, but from a business standpoint, from a, from a skill set experience standpoint, uh, it's all new to me. But, you know, there is some sort of a basis there for it, I guess, personally. Have you been finding it all? Because when you jump into this type of activism, it can quickly become consuming. It can, it can, and you can take on a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. Have you found it a challenge at all to, to balance your, before you got into the fight life with your, with your activism? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's overwhelming. Uh, well, not overwhelming to the point, uh, it, well, in fact, a lot of it re-inspires me, but it, it, it can be overwhelming too. You know, I don't, I don't get into this a lot, but, uh, you know, Ever since this advocacy hit a certain point about a year ago, you know, I have various, I I live in a very quiet neighborhood, very small neighborhood. There's no retail around here at all. You know, I have folks that pull up in front of my place and they sit in their cars all day long in shifts, you know, a few hours at a time. You know, it gets to the point where I walk out and, and I go, hey, what are you doing here? What's going on? 
the same people will just sit and watch and surveil. Uh, you know, I've had to call police on them at times. This happens not just in the afternoon, but it also happens, you know, in the middle of the night. Somebody will pull up and park and stay there from 3 to 6 a.m. My kids will go outside. My kids are 10 and uh, ten and 8, 9 and 8. They will go outside and say, oh, dad, the people are watching us again. So that gets annoying. What I will say, though, is it's probably not as annoying as what the Brentwood Community Council has been doing lately. They are calling up donors when they find, you know, like like that people are cooking food for veterans or that they've been donating tents or doing this stuff. They're constantly looking for these donors and they call them up and they threaten them, literally. In they say, way? you have to stop feeding them. You have to stop doing this. You have to stop providing them bathrooms. You have to stop providing them trash dumpsters, or we're going to make sure that you're going to be cited for code, or you know, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. These are disgusting people, in my well, opinion. Okay. So, I mean, I'm just, this is incredible sort of information, but I'm just going to, just to be fair and to be as, as, as neutral and friendly and gentle as I can be about this. You know, when when I hear from you that there are people sitting in front of your car and shifts and things like that, that's the stuff of like motion pictures and, and the type of stuff where somebody might say, you know, is he being super paranoid? You get that, right? You must get this from people like, man, Ryan, that's nuts. You know, the only ironically, the <laughs> And I'm not saying you're nuts. I'm just saying it sounds totally. No, actually, but I'm, I'm I'm about to validate you in many <laughs> aspects of that. Uh, in a, in, a, in a, but maybe not in the same way. But first, I'll point out because I've never thought about this before until now in terms of who has said this. It's interesting. The only folks who have asserted that you know I'm I'm out of my gourd or a conspiracy theorist are the members of the Brentwood Community Council. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only ones I know of so far. Now, that doesn't mean people might not privately go, man, that guy's out of his mind. But no one has worried more about that misperception than me. And because of that, uh, that is exactly why I am so diligent. It's exactly why I maintain a database online of, uh, I think it's about 70 or 80 gigabytes now of evidence official documents. You know, when I write briefs, when I inform people, I always know that whatever I write, that whatever I put out there is going to be heavily scrutinized, that there's a lot of money that's going to be behind trying to blow it away. And, you know, that I could be attracting um, malicious prosecution, you know, of civil lawsuits. So all the time, when I put out briefs and information to the public, I thoroughly cite everything. You know, I, I provide hypertext links to all of the evidence. Sometimes, you know, every few sentences, uh, you know, I, I have to go through a very laborious process. You know, a lot of times if I want to write a three-page letter, that letter might take me eight hours because I have to throw so many citations in it and, and fact check everything and make sure it's true. So what I will say is I think it depends on what point in time. If we were talking about a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago, my guess is you may have found many people could have thought, even though they didn't say it, many, many people in the community may have thought that's impossible. This, this guy's, you know, not telling the truth or he's just paranoid. Uh, nowadays, I don't think that's the case. Uh, there are so many people here that have realized this. Um, and a case in point here that I'm glad I remembered to say this, I'm not saying anything new. You know, I guess, you know, because I don't get much out of this, I wish I could take some credit and say, I discovered this. But but actually, I, I didn't. I'm, I'm a mouthpiece, uh, one of one of many mouthpieces, uh, you know. But first of all, 
the LA Times, Gail Holland at the LA Times, uh, a writer at the LA Times, she's covered this thoroughly in probably 20 articles. Uh, I wish she was still writing articles like these, but she was covering this uh, cartel, this, you know, this racket over at the soldier's home over the course of approximately two years on a regular basis. Obviously, the court order (laughs) from the Ninth Circuit says it. You know, the inspector general has written multi-hundred pages reports affirming most of everything I'm saying here. So this is nothing new. But, you know, and when you're talking about the surveillance, look, the inspector general has recently written reports about significant retaliation from folks just for calling the whistleblower hotline at the VA. You know, but even the surveillance, just so you know, Todd, I document everything. I keep videos of it all. Uh, I I file law enforcement reports and stuff like that. Um, It's really creepy. It's really nuts. Uh, and I try to stay lighthearted about it and, and laugh about it because I don't want to think too deeply about it. I only brought it up because I wanted to be somewhat fair and also because I just know what it sounds like. And yet if we go through – and I'm usually kind of the anti-conspiracy theory guy. You know, I, I, I battle with conspiracy theorists and just say, come on, let's just look at the facts here. But in this case, if you look at the facts and you look at the documents just here in the United States, you know, we have a deep history, one that is – of surveilling our own citizens. From Hoover on up, and and even before Hoover, we surveil our own citizens. And when you have a billion, 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 multi-billion dollar property on the line here, it doesn't really sound uh, like something that couldn't happen and wouldn't happen. I mean, I'm just the guy from the super nice club, right? I don't have any stake in this. And yet I have gotten things in my mailbox that were fake child handwriting. Just weird, creepy stuff. Letters without return addresses. I have gotten several since this whole thing started at my home address. They're creepy. They're weird. I, I, you know, I, I took photos of them. I actually was so kind of creeped out by them that I wouldn't touch them with my hands. It's like, you know, somebody, you know, <laughs> yeah. you get all, you suddenly become afraid of this. Like, is there, is there, you know, ricin on there or something? You start thinking of all the, um, uh, you know, the movies that you've seen. So it is a really strange thing. And I know if you guys and gals out there are rolling all your eyes, I'm going to bring this around to something that is even weirder. Because this property, this VA property, has a long, rich, incredible history of weird, okay? I'm going to have Ryan just kind of cover, what's my favorite one? Let me think. Um, The UCLA body part swapping that was happening there. Talk about that. That's weird. And it's real. And you can go online and check this stuff out, you guys. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that is is a pretty creepy one. Uh, Now, just so you know... Yeah, I'm not saying it's that it didn't happen at the West LAVA. Uh, I, I would I'm I would imagine it probably was involved, but as far as the record goes, uh, indeed there was a body part scandal uh, with UCLA, but it was primarily with an operation that they had on the campus there. Uh, but what was going on is it was found that over one or two decades. Uh, that there were research companies. I think Johnson and Johnson was one of them. You know, the research arm of their corporation. Uh, you know, other other big pharmaceutical medical device manufacturers, that kind of stuff. Their research arms were basically paying middlemen for body parts um, from the donor programs uh, at UCLA. A lot of people don't know this, but the UCLA created the first body donation program uh, to exist in America. 
And the way that their program was and maybe still is set up is that if you donate a body, you're, you know, you're getting a written agreement stating that you're donating it um, for uh, the medical school, uh, for, um, uh, you know, for medical research by the school. Um, and, in res- and in return, you would get uh, cremation services, uh, you know, an urn, and they would, pr- you know, they would provide the remains back to you, I think, within a certain amount of time. What had started happening is, is a lot of next of kin were suspecting that they weren't receiving their family back in the urns because they started seeing parts of pieces of inorganic material in the urns, like, you know, maybe remnants of plastic or metals or whatever. More evidence started showing up over time and a lawsuit was filed and it was kind of mysteriously thrown out as fast as it came into the court by the federal, uh, by the state judge at the time, uh, state as in University of California state. So the, there were still people out there, though, who had been participating in the program as next of kin that remained concerned. And it eventually attracted the attention of a investigator employed by UCLA, a woman who was a criminal investigator there. I don't know if she still is. And she decided that she was going to investigate it, um, but not tell anybody, which I believe she actually had a legal right to do that. So it, she discovers uh, in pursuing this investigation that uh, these companies are ordering up body parts and these middlemen are going in, I am not kidding you, with duffel bags uh, and, and tools like hacksaws. And they're going into these medical school cadaver programs and they're sawing off arms or, you know, pulling out organs, uh, chopping off hands, fingers, feet, whatever, and throwing them in a bag and, and, and paying cash to the head of the program. And, and this operation was very robust and going on for a long time. Now, of course, UCLA is denying it the entire time. You're out of your effing mind to think that this we could actually be doing this. But sure enough, uh, several years ago, it goes back to court and the whole thing's blown over, busted, proven. Several people are convicted. It's a fact. So yeah, Los Angeles Times uh, article 2009, folks, just to Make sure this, you know, this is real. L.A. County prosecutors said Ernst Nelson, 51, cut up heads, torsos, and other parts from donated corpses and sold them without UCLA's permission to medical and pharmaceutical research companies, collecting $1.5 million between 1999 and 2003. Now, so that's real. This is something that happened. Whether or not UCLA had knowledge of it or not, that's a whole different conversation. Unfortunately, what you said a moment ago before you got into your description was maybe it didn't happen at this VA property. So cool story, bro, but doesn't really relate. But I'm still glad we told it because it's crazy Absolutely. and weird. So what are they doing there now? Is UCLA doing some some sort of experimental work with the homeless vets? Indeed, a lot of it. And it, there is actually still some relevancy, though, with what you're saying, the body part program. So I'll try to loop them together. So between the 50s and the late 80s, primarily under the supervision of Dr. Lewis Julian West, uh, who's the head of the UCLA psychiatry department over that entire time and whose main office uh, over that entire time, along with the office of his wife, uh, were at the Westlake VA. A lot of people are, are learning, actually, who what Lewis Julian West's other job was uh, since, uh, I think it's Tom O'Neill published a book of a few decades of research he was doing, but it has since been 
confirm that that Jolly West, they used to call him, uh, was also with Sidney Gottlieb, the the, the co-founder um, of the MK Ultra Project, and all of these other experiments having to do with. Um, I guess thought control, for lack of a, of a, of a better term. Anyhow. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in here, folks, just to give you guys, if you're not familiar with, with Project MK Ultra, it's something that has been associated for a long time with wild conspiracy theories. But it's actually, this is all declassified material now. There's declassified MK Ultra documents you can find online. It was the CIA mind control program. It was the code name. It was a series of experiments on human subjects that were designed by the CIA uh, some of which were illegal. They were experiments on humans intended to identify and develop drugs and procedures to be used in interrogations, right? And get confessions through mind control. And some of this was hypnosis, sensory deprivation, sexual abuse, psychoactive drugs, especially LSD. All right. So this MK Ultra project is something that actually happened. A lot of people are familiar with it, but if you're not, it's fascinating, dark, scary stuff. Yeah, and, and actually, just like the uh, Iran Contra scandal in the in the mid '80s, um, you know, the the head of the CIA uh, and some other officials did have to um, testify under oath to Congress in televised hearings, where they acknowledged uh, in full detail the existence of the programs before they were supposedly promptly shut it down. So, yeah, it, it is of public record. You're you're indeed correct. Anyway, so we've we've recently learned, you know, and it has been affirmed that Louis Julian West, you know, was the co-founder of of a lot of this research, but what his his day job was or what his cover was or what he was really doing also uh, is he's the head or the chief of the psychiatry department at UCLA. His office is at the West LA VA. And he also created uh, a lot of these homeless uh, programs for homeless veterans. So there are two types of research that has been going on or three types of research that has been going on. The first type was extensive research into the effects of uh, nuclear radiation on human tissue. And that was done by UCLA in, in conjunction or, or for the Department of Energy, primarily between the 50s, the, uh, the late 50s and the late 80s. Uh, I mean, it was kind of tapering off, I think, by the by the late 70s, but I think it went into the late 80s. Um, so what was happening there is they were basically blasting veterans, children, and animals with radiation. Uh, sometimes the radiation was administered orally, intravenously, or through, uh, you know, gamma radiation, uh, radiation waves. And, and this while, is taking place on that property? Yes, on a regular basis. So there are wow. buildings there that, that, yeah, there are buildings there. There's at least one building there that still remains that has, you know, um, walls I forget how thick they are, but walls made of lead uh, that are behind the regular walls uh, because the <laughs> because the researchers were concerned about <laughs> getting radiation poisoning, not the subjects uh, that they were blasting. They were more concerned about themselves. So anyway, the reason that the lid blew over on that primarily, uh, you know, there was a congressional committee formed um, to look into it. And they produced multi-hundred pages of reports confirming all of it and describing the experiments and, and what had happened. Uh, but what really tipped it off um, is, is a guy named 
Dennis Odell, who was a former VA police chief there uh, who became a federal criminal investigator. These federal criminal investigators, I don't think their position exists anymore, but they had powers, the same type of law enforcement powers as the FBI. They could do arrests, they could, you know, be armed, they could do investigations, and they had a lot of their own independence in terms of conducting those investigations. Uh, I've actually done about six hours of interviews with Mr. Odell and about the details of his discoveries there. And, and what had happened is is in the 80s, he had begun to notice, because he was stationed at the West LA VA Soldiers Home, he begun to notice these vans that were going in and out of the soldier's home and, uh, you know, they'd be stopping at buildings that he, some buildings he knew that UCLA uh, was occupying and some buildings he didn't think anybody was occupying, but he kept seeing these vans showing up. And then he started to notice that the people being taken out of these vans appeared to be homeless. And then when they would leave, uh, he said on a pretty, pretty regular basis, when they would walk out, sometimes they would walk out days or weeks later and that they looked in terms of their their demeanor, their their personalities, they seemed different um, and, and that they were they would always walk out on their own. They, a lot of times they wouldn't be escorted back out. So he began to intercept these folks, you know, when they were almost outside and kind of away from the buildings. And then he would bring them into his uh, office or station or whatever it was and start taking statements. And he, he had told me, and I, I, by the way, I can provide a lot of this material for you if you, if you guys ever want to hear it. Um, they, they were telling him, you know, that they had been part of some uh, research or something like that. Uh, but he said a lot of times they were so vegged out, like he could barely get anything sensible out of them. Uh, and when he was running background checks, he also started to realize that many of them were homeless, disabled veterans, but also many of them were not veterans, but just, you know, other homeless people uh, in mm-hmm. the L.A. area. So Dennis has, uh, you know, at the time he has a key to all the buildings uh, there and he can go in any of them at any time. So he started going in the buildings and started to see um, apparatuses of, you know, planting electrodes in people, uh, you know, people there with like shit, you know, stuff planted, uh, you know, connected to their heads and lots of laboratory equipment and documents. So he began to start, you know, obtaining copies of this documentation, you know, borrowing stuff and returning it in the middle of the night. He started to collect samples um, from some of this equipment. And he also began to notice that uh, this was involving some sort of nuclear medicine uh, and or radiation. There was a discovery of a cyclotron, uh, you know, one of these buildings. And it was appearing to him as if some of the byproducts of these experiments were not being uh, properly disposed of. In addition to that, he was doing surveillance. He started setting up, now these are film cameras because they don't have even DV video at the time. He is surveilling uh, with several film cameras from windows of of these various buildings around the soldier's home, you know, documenting these vans and this, and this, you know, situation. So uh, once he, and then one of the last things he does is he starts bringing in uh, teams in the middle of the night and doing core samples and testing the water in the water mains, you know, all throughout the, um, the land there and uh, confirming that there was nuclear radioactive waste uh, that he was suspecting was coming from the byproducts of these ex- experiments. So he ends up taking boxes of evidence, many boxes of evidence, and then finally uh, publicizing his findings and his investigations. 
And one day, uh, and by the way, I, w- I wish she was still like this. Uh, one day, Maxine Waters shows up at his office and uh, says, you know, get up, grab your keys. Let's go take a look at this. And she just starts having them open up in the middle of the day, uh, you know, these <laughs> these research facilities. And she's, you know, seeing what's going on. And then she, you know, brings it to the attention of Congress. And uh, one thing leads to another. A lot of this research gets suspended, unfortunately, only temporarily. A lot of it's heavily publicized by the LA Times. And Dennis O'Dell is recognized on the floor of Congress for his uh, investigations. Yeah. So the result of this is if you look at an aerial or even a Google map of the West LA VA Soldiers Home, and you look at the western edge of it, um, kind of in the middle, you see a big brown strip uh, that looks like a like kind of like a, an arroyo area, and it's I'd say approximately twenty or thirty acres. Uh, it's all brown. It just looks like chemically burnt vegetation, and that is where most of these byproducts have been dumped, and the land is totally unusable. And it has since been recognized by the VA and the federal government in a programmatic environmental impact study that it is not safe for human use, that land. It is so badly destroyed, in fact, by the byproducts of these experiments. The experiments that are now happening um, that we know about. Yeah. Uh, so this was, what years were these? When did this, when did this, when was this Maxine Waters sort of exposure? That, that, yeah, I think that was around 1990, 89. Okay. I can provide you the docs on that. No. Yeah. So 30 years later, we have sort of a new version of that. Yeah, this this one's uh, unfortunate too. Uh, oh, and by the way, sorry, I just want to interject. There were a ton of lobotomies that UCLA was doing too. Uh, tons and tons of lobotomies on veterans. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but one flew over the cuckoo's nest, was shot at the Westlake VA Soldiers Home. And uh, just so you know, there are folks that were working uh, there <laughs> that still are today back then. And they were, they tell me how, you know, they would be sitting around and someone can go, go, oh shit, we forgot. They're going to be shooting in this building and we have a bunch of stuff in there. You got to get out. And they would have to go before the camera crews would arrive and get out literally harmful byproducts and and equipment that had been left behind for several years because they'd forgotten it was there and the the production crew was coming to shoot one flew over a cuckoo's nest that day <laughs> so. oh another another jack nicholson reference yeah, huh? exactly exactly <laughs> what else are we gonna get the shining pritzy's honor hey uh we have something really disturbing happening out there right now yeah okay so uh one day, I guess maybe last January around, I had forgotten to inquire with many of the disabled veterans, homeless veterans, uh, you know, that I speak to. I had always meant to ask about, hey, do you know about any UCLA research going on? You know, because it, it, it was so prominent and a lot of it was busted. Uh, I'm not talking about research in general, but bad research. And uh, I thought, shit, I never asked anybody before. So literally the first time the first guy I asked, I said, hey, by the way, do you know anything about any UCLA research going around? Do you know anything like that? And the guy says, huh, you mean the meth research? Yeah, man, I can tell you all about it. I, I said, what? Meth research? And the guy basically explains to me, yeah, you know, so we go and show up at, you know, one of many places, usually in Westwood. And, uh, you know, we go to some lab at UCLA or whatever. And as long as we show up high on, on meth, they'll put something in our arm and they do like some scan of our head and they ask us questions 
you know, sometimes it's a couple hours. Uh, sometimes we might stay there for a couple of days and then we get like, you know, a thousand to three thousand dollars when we leave. So, so uh, to be sure, we all understand what we're talking about here is these guys, some of these guys said they could go and if they could find crystal meth illegally on the street and buy it and hop themselves up on it and show up at this lab and they would be tested to ensure that they're high on illegal crystal methamphetamine, that they could be paid one to three thousand dollars. And they could do it multiple times and they would just have to get something in their arm and something on their head and ask her a bunch of questions. So I thought, holy fuck. Um, So some of these folks I took recorded statements of, uh, you know, and actually others received recorded statements of them, too. We've been protecting their identities, although we have transcribed some of those statements and we have made declarations under sworn oath to the Department of Health and Human Services, to the VA Office of Research and to UCLA. Uh, Those declarations are publicly available. They started to tell me, hey, I'll tell you what I I said. Well, how how did you find out about these? Uh, this research. They're like, oh man, you know, they'll, they'll send some girls by, you know, some UCLA girls and they'll hand us flyers. That's how we all found out about it. I said, well, what do the flyers say? They said, oh yeah, no, hey, do you do math? If you do just call, you know, call this number, show up here and you could make, you know, up to a thousand bucks or more. So I thought this is nuts. So they said, look, next time we see something like this, we'll show you. I said, okay. So one, uh, one night, you know, about a month or two later, I get a call. And then I get a text message of one of these flyers. And indeed, it says exactly what they were saying. So I'm thinking about it for a while. And I I can't sleep. This is just boggling my mind. And then around five in the morning, I email the publicly provided email address of the head of this entire study. And her name is Edith D. London. And she's over with the... um, uh, the brain research, UCLA Brain Research Institute, the Geffen School of Medicine. And, you know, there's so many things I wanted to say. I wasn't even sure how to approach this. It was blowing my mind. And so I just said, what is the point? What is the point of paying disabled homeless veterans to do methamphetamine or something like that? Doesn't it just perpetuate homelessness? And she responds to me, And by the way, she responds to me, I think, within about 20 minutes. So she was up at that time, too. And and she responds to me, um, we never do any research on homeless people or veterans. You know, we don't do that at all. I'm not sure what you're talking about. So this email conversation ends up going back and forth throughout through the late morning. And, you know, every time she replies, I begin to kind of reveal another known fact that has been discovered. So, you know, after that, I, I, you know, it was kind of, I said, um, well, I have statements from disabled homeless veterans who are saying that you're running this program that's doing X, Y, Z. And then she would rebuff that. And then I would respond saying, hey, is this your flyer? And so finally, at a certain point, she responds by saying, well, maybe we need to change some of our practices. (laughs) Or something like that. I thought, okay, that's good enough for this discussion. And then at that point, I started, now that I knew who these uh, researchers are and some more about this research, I started really digging deep and pulling a lot of the studies that primarily that she had been doing for a long time. And to give you an example, uh, and this is what most of these studies are like, but I'm, I'm going to tell you just one of them. In one of the studies, they bring in 
test human test subjects. They have to be on crystal methamphetamine. The first thing they do is this is now this is a public study. These are in journals that you can read. Okay, they um, they test them to ensure that they are on crystal methamphetamine and ensure that they're addicted to it in terms of a battery of questions. And then they created a custom second life virtual reality environment of a meth house that had what? But, and. and Yes. And they made it look like uh, like a cool meth house, like it's a party, you know, there's chicks there and and, you know, there's videos going and and everyone's like having a good time doing meth. And then they also had um, props of like, you know, glass pipes and paraphernalia. And uh, when they're hopped up on meth, they would put them under a, a PET scanner for their brain that would run for hours at a time and they would um, shoot them up intravenously with Pride, which is a nuclear radioactive tracer. So the PET scanner could identify the neurological activity of what was happening while they're on methamphetamine. And then they would have them, uh, they would also at points have VR headsets on and be in this second life VR environment and they would get to hold the paraphernalia in their hands and they would be asked questions. I'm not kidding you. Uh, the questions are published in the actual studies. Like, how good does it feel to be on meth right now? Do you want more meth right now? Don't you love meth? I, I mean, I am being entirely serious and truthful here. You can pull these studies right now. Yeah, this is interesting stuff. It's also very, it sounds like very much in alignment with, with what they were doing with the MK Ultra. My, my research team just put a, a sheet under my nose. Thanks, Super Nice Club research team. Love you guys. Yeah. Uh, she's an interesting woman, Edith D. London. She is uh, director of UCLA Laboratory of Molecular Pharmacology at the David Geffen School of Medicine University at UCLA. Check this out. She has been up to some stuff that has rubbed people the wrong way. And I'm not at all um, validating what has happened to her, but check this out, or saying that it's okay. Her house in Beverly Hills, California was vandalized in 2007 in an act credited to an animal activist group, Animal Liberation Front. They broke a window of the house, inserted a garden hose, which flooded the home, causing $50,000 worth of damage. Subsequently, and this is scary, this is not okay to do to somebody, her house was again attacked and damaged by a firebomb left at the front door in February 2008. No one was home at the time. A statement issued by the North American Animal Liberation Press Office claimed that animal liberationists were responsible for placing the device. Now, most brain researchers do not get attacked multiple times. This Edith uh, D. London is definitely doing some interesting, she's up to some interesting stuff. I'm not going to say no good because there's probably good that comes out of her research. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, do the ends justify the means, right? Edith, if you're out there, would like to be on the Nice Work podcast, come on in. I would love to talk. You, you sound fascinating. Yeah. You know, one way, Todd, that uh, I became aware uh, of that um, is because uh, another uh, advocate that I work with who was also researching, researching this uh, at the same time uh, got a call <laughs> from the UCLA Police Department and they had said, hey, you know, we're just contacting you because we uh, there's you know there was um, a complaint filed by um, a researcher here uh, you know she's just concerned for her safety uh, because you had contacted her asking about some research now this guy 
you know, and we had to take all this evidence and, and, and show it. All this guy did was contact her saying, I want to know what's going on with this research. That was it. Mm. So, and it was all worked out and, 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 you know, the, the, the UCLA PD was not, you know, uh, they weren't acting very suspicious. It was it was more of a formality the way they were handling it. They were very cordial and professional. Um, but uh, there is nothing. Uh, th- you know, in fact, the only time I've ever spoken with Edith London was the emails I told you about. I've never talked to her since. Uh, but anyway, no, excuse me. I talked to her one more time. I did let her know. I said, look, I heard that you have filed a, a police report or something like that with UCPD. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with us inquiring about this. Um, we wouldn't do anything to you. Uh, but I have learned since in reading up on you, you know, that you have had issues in the past. So just so you know, you won't be hearing from us anymore. Uh, but we will be continuing to research this and publishing whatever facts that we find. Uh, so that's yeah, I would imagine that she would be, she would be very suspect of anyone after being firebombed. I, I, yeah, but there's another side of this. Yeah. yeah, there's another side of this, though. Um, she is not uh, what I would call, you know, misscared and innocent. Um, on the other side of this, there are a couple of other animal research activist groups, uh, two of them. I've spoken with the, the heads of both of them um, at great length. They've actually provided a lot of information um, since. Uh, one of them was uh, holding demonstrations and advocating against um, London and her outfit for all of this animal vivisection uh, that still goes on, uh, but not as much as she used to do it. Uh, And then another one uh, was advocating against it too in a separate organization. And London and UCLA uh, maliciously prosecuted uh, one of them and went after them and tried to basically, you know, bankrupt them and, and, you know, threaten them with losing their career and their jobs and sustenance, whatever. The judge in the case not only threw out London and UCLA's case, but also, what would you say, found that it was basically a malicious prosecution that was preemptive, that was uh, just intending to censor and defraud them, basically. And Mm. so, so actually the defendant ended up getting an award in the case because the judge, it was so obvious to the judge that they were doing this as a tactic, a retaliatory, uh, you know, tactic against them. So, uh, you know, I, I I think it's terrible. Nobody should be subject, no matter what's going on, you know, breaking a law is not the way to deal with someone who's broken the law. With that said, Edith, you know, and this research continues to break laws. uh, But not only that, they obviously are retaliating uh, in the pe- recent past against folks too, who are just trying to put out the truth. Okay, so let's let's wrap this up. This is kind of mind blowing. Here we have this 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 VA property that is wildly valuable. It's supposed to belong to veterans. Instead, they're sleeping in tents donated by the good citizens of Brentwood, right in front of it. It has a history of wildness animal vivisection, MK Ultra, uh, all sorts of LSD experimentation, meth to vets, body part swapping, possibly? We don't know for sure. Well, uh, yeah. Throw it in there because it sounds great. I'll I'll touch one thing about (laughs) that real quick. Okay. The the only thing I can put in there about that is there is one building there, uh, which is a a brain bank that UCLA runs. If you fill out a PDF form, if you're a researcher- Oh, great. There's a brain bank there. Yeah. Yeah, so so there's that there. I guess you could you could maybe say that's somehow related, but I don't know. Can we tour this property somehow, Ryan? Is there any way for the public to get in there? 
well, yeah, look, there's a lot of aerial uh, photography of it. I've uh, been toured through it many times. I- I'm sure that could be arranged one way or another. Uh, you know, it's going to have to be through a veteran. I'm just... I'm just thinking the super nice club needs to put a headquarters in there. Can we can we get an illegal lease? You think you can hook that up? I'll, I'll talk to the Brentwood Community Council see if they can hook me up with uh, with a lease for the super nice club. Hey, so the way we we wrap these podcasts is uh, we flip it over real quick to the guest to do two things. The first is issue a super nice challenge, which is just something that the super nice club members and listeners. And if you're listening to this podcast that means you got jumped into the super nice club you're now a member welcome aboard making the world 10 percent nicer that's what we're all here for do you have a challenge for the people out there something they can do to make their world a little bit better absolutely and i think it's actually a very easy challenge to accomplish and uh and and amidst how easy it may be to accomplish i cannot even express in words how helpful it will be Everyone can do one or two of two things. Uh, one, if you, if anyone out there is interested in seeing the facts on this and in seeing, you know, the actual evidence and the official government documents corroborating all of this, uh, I can be emailed at rt at nhdvs.net. rt at nhdvs.net. The second one uh, is you can tell two people to watch this podcast. So much sure, like of this it. advocacy comes from word of mouth. So much of the help. I mean, it is incredible what's been accomplished in just one year. And all of it comes from people becoming aware of what's going on. So if anyone listening here, if everyone listening here can talk to just two people and have them listen to this podcast or ask for information about this, uh, that would be a challenge. I don't think it's too hard to accomplish. And I can't even explain how helpful it would be. Okay. Challenge accepted. I will talk to at least two people. Definitely. And the rest of you out there, if, if you're finding value in this podcast, this is a wild and wooly episode of Nice Work. It's definitely veering off our usual rails, but into some important territory in that a lot of the things that aren't so super nice in our world, well, there's a reason why they aren't. And it's not always completely transparent. Right. And it, and it sometimes can seem a little ridiculous, like, no, that would never happen in my backyard. Mm, you know, sometimes it does. And sometimes uh, it's it's pretty complicated. And so thank you, Ryan, for for shedding a little bit of light on this. Uh, do you have and this is the final part. This is the fun one. This is the part that I, I get excited about because I never know what's coming. Do you have a question for me? Well, what inspired you to get involved with this? And I don't mean I don't mean just this subject, but what inspired you to start the Super Nice Club? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to just this subject uh, is what I'm gonna do because um, I've covered the Super Nice Club one quite a bit. And if you don't know why I started the Super Nice Club, listen to some other podcasts. It's in there, I promise. But I'm really interested in what's going on right here, right now. What inspired me to do this was in part definitely you. It was moving down here to Brentwood and trying to figure out what's my new neighborhood all about. It's really cool. It's pretty. Uh, there's some good eats. And then COVID hit and I could no longer explore it at all. You know, I know LA pretty well. I've been working out of here for, for 20 years, even though I was living up north. So then I turned to next door because that's sort of the surrogate that we all have right now, right? To, to figure out what's going on in your local community. And 
wow, like I said earlier in this in this episode, there was just a lot of ugliness and there was also a lot of beauty. There was also a lot of people helping out. And so I saw those tents and the Super Nice Club has an ongoing program. If anybody's interested in getting involved with it, just let me know. It's called Humans Live Here. And Humans Live Here is just that simple idea that if you see this sign, if you see those words in front of an unsheltered person's encampment, whatever it may be, whether it's just a sleeping bag or a tent or some other rough shelter, these are humans. These are individuals. These are, you know, you've heard it many times, but these are our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children and 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 former co-workers and veterans. These are human beings. And instead, they so often get classified with derogatory labels like drug users, felons, convicts, homeless, uh, miscreants, you name it, right? There's a pejorative term. There's so many for them. And so the, the Super Nice Club Humans Live Here idea was, you know, have those signs be out there reminding folks, but also put those signs in your yard. If you're lucky enough, if you're blessed enough to have a steady home, put that sign in your yard and remind people of the connectivity, the connective thread on both sides. So diving into all of that is what led me to the conversations with you. You know, uncovering like, wow, who are the players here? Who is the who are the ones that are consistently opposed to the, just the very presence of of these homeless veterans? And then finding out who those people were, you know, has it, been pretty eye opening. And at first, it really did seem kind of like a lot of conspiracy stuff. It seemed like, oh, you know. These are some specious claims may maybe being made, and these are some just yeah. There's some kind of greedy, pro business above human dignity folks, but there's some percentage of those in any community wherever you go. And I, the more I started to dig, the more I realized that it was there was uh, more going on, right? And so again, thanks to you for for giving me a lot of the information. But I've also done a lot of my own research outside of you, you know. And like you said, there are a lot of articles in the Los Angeles Times. There's media coverage. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, are you are you at liberty at all to talk about the coming big media splash on this? That is uh, HBO. Uh, yeah, sure. There, there, yes, there is a um, a, a feature length documentary uh, in production. Um, and that, uh, is with HBO at the moment. And, uh, yeah, the, the crew was out, out here for a couple weeks. Uh, they just left, uh, about a week ago, week or two ago, and, um, they're coming back out and they'll be out here for a few months. There's also a lot of media coverage in terms of news and investigative journalism that's about to hit, you know, a lot of it in less than 30 days. That's all I can really talk about that at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to point out though, there, there, there's a lot of the, the, the majority of the history of this land is a nice history. Uh, again, you know, the, by 1970, there were 5,000 disabled veterans there receiving services. And if you are, a, you know, what might be called a snowflake, a compassionate person, whatever it may be, that's a nice thing because you know that people uh, who you're paying to be helped are getting helped and, and it feels good. If you're a, a taxpayer and, it, you know, the matters of, of homeless and veterans aren't as much a concern as just the your general welfare and, and the proper application of your taxes, it's good to know that your money was doing what it's supposed to. There's an inverse proportional relationship here. As these 5,000 veterans have dwindled down to about 100 today that are still inside receiving shelter and services, you also have this massive explosion of veteran homelessness in Los Angeles. And a lot of people don't know that uh, 
Los Angeles is the nation's capital of veteran homelessness. We have over 4,000 homeless veterans in Los Angeles. It's kind of interesting, right? Because we're talking about the same number here, right? There was once, you know, about 5,000 that were inside, and now we have over 4,000 outside. So I, there's wow. definitely a correlation there. Wow. And so are there, yeah, I keep, I just have so many questions, but we will have to wrap this up. But I just got to know, is there currently enough uh, shelter inside that property to take care of 5,000 or does it need to be reconstructed? My personal opinion is there's not enough for over 4,000, but there is definitely mm-hmm. enough for at least 1,000. That's already been recently proven, right? I mean, we had that many there uh, just several years ago. So in short, what these nonprofits and these developers are are saying and lobbying for is they're trying to say nothing's habitable there. Uh, it all has to be redeveloped and all has to be done through these public-private partnerships. It's a total lie. We've had people trying to tell us that the law prevents the VA from feeding or sheltering veterans directly. Total lie. The law does anything but that. Um, so, yeah, you, you could easily have over a thousand there right now. Now, what would the Veterans Administration say if, if I called them, called them up and said, hey, there are 31 unsheltered vets just across the fence from you. Why aren't they allowed in? It, it depends who you ask. But as of as of two weeks ago, up until two weeks ago, what the Brentwood Community Council and the few West LA VA officials that they have unduly influenced as their pundits have been saying uh, is they were saying those veterans are choosing to be homeless. They don't want to be inside. They're all drug addicts and they could walk in right now. They'd say this all the time. They could walk in right now and get services. Even if they're on drugs, they could have a spot in this tent encampment, which by the way, we got that tent encampment and started inside recently. The reason that blew apart is because, well, one, we knew it wasn't true, but two, we had medical doctors who are responsible for running these services coming and making statements that we have on record as audio recordings saying they're pushing everyone away. They're not taking anybody in. They're turning them all away. We don't understand why it's going on. We don't like it. We've been having meetings. We're not getting answers. They're shutting everything down. They're pushing everybody out. And and I can, you know, again, you want to request information, anyone on this podcast will provide you those audio recordings. Uh, and, and so we started getting all of this evidence proving otherwise. So now they're, now they're scrambling. They're trying to figure out what they can say because they can't say that anymore. And I'll tell you, folks, the, the veterans there and veterans there that I've spoken to, when I ask, why aren't you over the fence? They shrug their shoulders and say, we don't know. We're applying. We've been on a list. You know, we're trying to get housing. We want to have a place to be so that we can have a better ability to reconstruct our lives. And study after study have shown that, you know what, the number one way to get people to reconstruct their lives and to get shelter is to give them shelter right? It's really hard to get your life together from a tent or from the sidewalk. And there are rooms, there is space for these people. You want them off the street, we can get them off the street. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the Brentwood Community Council to join the Super Nice Club and help get these people off the street. You up for that? Michelle Biznoff, I would love you to be a member. I don't hear her, but she might speeches. respond to you later. She might respond to you later. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, man. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for giving so much of your time and, and just tip of the iceberg on this one. You know, we, we talked about it for a couple hours. There's so much more information. So again, folks, if you want to learn more from Ryan, rt at nhdvvictors.net. That'll be in the show notes, but it's rt at nhdvs.net. Ryan Thompson, thank you for the work that you do. Thanks for being uh, just part of a, of a nicer world. It's, uh, it's important stuff. Uh, thank you, Todd. Uh, uh, amidst all the issues that come with it, I do want to let you know it really feels great. Um, so there's something to say for doing nice things. Nice work should feel good. All right, man. I will talk to you soon, and I hope to be out there helping however I can. See you soon. Oh, boy. Howdy. Was that a super nice conversation or what? Whoa. We covered some ground there with Ryan Thompson from veterans' rights to body parts and brain banks and mind control. I told you it was going to be a good one. I got to know. You know, you can, you can email what do you think? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? Do you want to get involved in this? Do you want to help out? I would love it if you want to help out because these vets are getting screwed. They're getting hosed and it is a David versus Goliath battle, though the momentum is shifting and Goliath has been getting his ass kicked lately. So if you want to help out and keep up with the wins, reach out to Ryan directly, please, at rt at nhdvs.net rt at nhdvs.net. What's crazy about this is that it's documented. Look at the show notes. Look at the links. Learn more. Hey, if you want to hear some of these audio recordings that Ryan has, email him. Okay? Get more information. Get some facts and share them. Share this podcast to get others to do the same. If you know anyone that's concerned with the rights of veterans, the rights of the homeless, or just doesn't want to see their own community, be it in Los Angeles or in Atlanta, trampled by people who don't give a damn and who are just simply not super nice, mm, you know, let's, let's, let's work together. I want to hear your stories. Do you have something like this going on in your community? Tell me about it. Let's all get together and fight for each other wherever we are. This has been a hell of a year, a hell of a year. That's an understatement. So here's to a much nicer 2021 and beyond. I really appreciate you. Appreciate all members of the Super Nice Club. Appreciate anyone listening to this podcast. Have a great week. Hope that you're here to listen to episode 45. Until then, stay nice, everyone. Is that you
just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice That you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice So what? Big deal